Hey, and welcome back to the Doctor Lift Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadalski. I got my brother, Dr. Carl Nadalski Jr. And with us today, we have an exciting guest, Dr. Stu Phillips, the protein guru of the world. He's up yeah. in Canada. Oh, Canada. <laughs> yeah. And we, we've been interacting with him for quite a while. A long time. Um, online and uh, finally to meet him not in the flesh but kind of via uh video no, we can we can see him i don't know if anybody else is going to watch as close this. as we get these days right yeah, yeah. as close as we get and and really uh, he you really are uh you know in our uh, from our perspective and from what we can tell one of the globally renowned uh, protein scientists who gives good real life clinical advice and that's why i mean we really are i was just telling him before we got on we are so excited to talk about this for our uh you know, education, and most importantly, our patients and everyone else out there. Yeah, I used I to appreciate you guys having me on. It's a yeah. pleasure to be here. I, so I used to like back in high school, it was like 2000, uh, <laughs> 1999, 2002. So like, I, there was a point where I was eating like probably two grams of protein per pound of body weight. I was eating 400, 500. Like, now you got to have some background with that. You were, I was trying to get, you know, you were a little bit scrawnier than I was going through high school, lifting well, weights geez. hard, trying to be a heavyweight. My myostatin gene wasn't turned off in utero like yours was. So I, but, but anyway, the point of saying this is that like, and even through college and even later through medical school, um, kind of similar, very high protein. And mm -hmm. the thing is like, you're a high protein guy compared to the, to the, to the general population, but because of your, you know, very evidence-based science-based recommendations, I've actually peeled back on it yeah. a, a bit. Mm -hmm. As um, have I. And, and. You know, and like you said, I mean, I maintain pretty decent muscle mass. I don't eat as much protein as I used to, thanks but, to actual science. But what's interesting, though, and I'll let you talk because I don't want to talk over my guests. But like what's interesting is when you talk, you're always like the, you know, most people don't get enough protein. But from our meat, very meathead protein-ish background, probably getting more than what was needed. So anyway, I just wanted to give that little uh, tidbit there. So thank, <laughs> thanks sure. for all you do is, is basically what... I kind of wonder how'd you how'd you get into yeah. this stuff? Like, what where where did you like? What brought you into protein? Yeah, it's sort of um, a bit of a twisted story. I, I I thought all I did my I did my undergraduate degree actually here at McMaster University, and um, I actually did it in biochemistry. So I kind of came at things maybe a little bit different than uh, than some people. But uh, I was uh, I was a rugby guy going all the way mm. through McMaster. So I hung out with a lot of wrestlers, like guys like you, uh, and a lot of other athletes, right? So it was always part of, you know, who I was or my, my DNA. Um, and it wasn't until my senior year, I actually took a course in nutrition. And this professor who turned out to be my master's advisor, Stephanie Atkinson, was talking about, you know, protein. And she said, I have this student and his name's Mark Tarnopolsky, and he's a clinician. And he still is actually the director of the neurometabolic disease clinic over here. And he said, oh, yeah, we're doing protein requirements in athletes. And I was like, oh, my God, this, this sounds too good to be true. <laughs> and yeah, so I got into research. I, I, all along, I thought, I'm, I'm going to be a clinician. Like I'm, and I got into it, and I, I, like, I've never gotten out of it. So <laughs> um, it, it, it's always sort of been part of who I am. And I'm a lot like you guys, although uh, my high school career predates yours by at least a solid decade. Um, Every protein supplement I ever took was made by when I took them was was made by Joe Weider. Yeah, and, uh, they That's did, awesome. and yeah, like it was you know a trip in yesteryear of bodybuilding lore. 
Uh, they, they tasted awful. I uh, just, just want to – by comparison to today's standards, which uh, things mm -hmm. taste excellent, yes. uh, yeah, it was literally plug your nose and just – you know, pound back your, your wheat or protein supplements. That, that is funny, you know, to compare to us then. So I'm four and a half, basically four years ahead of Spencer, um, mm. like in school grade. So I graduated high school yep. in 98. And yep. I don't think, Spencer, see if you recall this, I don't think I ever, as a little kid meathead, lifting weights my whole life, getting into the stuff, I don't think I ever used any protein supplementation um, until maybe Spencer started trying it when he was in high school, high school. Yeah. or maybe maybe i maybe was still in high school, school but yeah i i don't i didn't use it in, in high school i just knew i i had a little our dad was a biology teacher he was an athlete and yeah. um you know into food science and stuff so we always uh -huh. had some basic understanding of hey we need to get our protein yeah. uh, we need to eat our good fats you know a lot of that kind of stuff <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I ever had any protein supplementation uh, for my physique. Because yeah, the steaks uh, the that 90s. you would eat were like twenty ounces. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, I guess. Yeah, you know this. The, you had to mail order for this stuff. Like you you wrote on a little coupon, you put it in the mail, and you got it back. <laughs> you know, it was, it was snail mail uh, protein delivery. There, I, I don't ever recall there. Like I can't remember it. Like a GNC type store. I think the first time I went into one of those, I was in definitely in university. <laughs> and it was mostly protein. Now it's like all kinds of it's stuff. It's all goofy stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, I remember getting that, and it was egg. One was egg, and one was beef. Like it was. Oh, yeah. beef? I mean, I don't know. Oh, terrible. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So there was there was no cookies and cream or anything else oh, like yeah. that. They they were yeah. So um, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't fun. I'll, I'll admit that. Well, it also wasn't fun when Spencer added so much supplementation that the rest of us had to live in his in his methane gas world. Yeah, there's that was a side effect of the weeder supplements too. So, but you know, we were a house full of rugby guys, and so yeah, it, didn't care. You know, it was just like one after the other. You know, it was but it was. Imagine if you came in from the outside and you weren't oh. nose blind. To how bad we smelled. Spencer almost got kicked out of the, one of the Michigan State dorms for that. <laughs> he and his roommate stunk up the whole dorm. It, it, it happens. It it's happens. Not, it's not necessarily incorrect. <laughs> it's a little bit more of that story, but that's not far off. <laughs> All right, so let's get nothing to some like basics. some toilet humor to get yeah. things going. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. So, but yeah. let's let's tell people, you know, Spencer, see if you, what you think. But like, tell tell people what the heck is protein because i'm not so sure everyone quite understands yeah. it you know an essential amino acids for people out there you know and we have patients who are not athletes so we're yep. talking little kids to you know prevention medicine yep. healthy adults yep. people with obesity diabetes and yep. of course then athletes what what the heck is protein what are essential amino acids what do we care yeah uh, i mean so, so what i start off with is sort of saying to people like so you've got fats carbohydrates and proteins and i said unlike uh, fats and carbohydrates, which are, are mostly f fuel. Uh, I mean, we have a, we probably have no requirement for carbohydrate, but you know, most people like carbs. Uh, we have a very small requirement for fats. The only nutrient that we actually really need is protein. And that's because we, we can't store it. We don't have a sort of little place to kind of tuck it away and, you know, put it there and get it at a later time. Now we, we, we can, you know, muscle is a, essentially a reservoir for protein and you know in times of need and patients and probably you guys deal with them uh you, you break down muscle if you need it so 
intensive care, wasting situations, cancer, HIV, something like that. Um, but for most mere mortals, you ingest the protein in your diet. It's broken down into amino acids. Uh, the analogy I use with the, the students is to say um, that the protein, like muscle in your body, is like a brick wall. And it's made up of 20 different bricks. Uh, you can make 11 out of the 20. The other nine bricks uh, are essential, and you have to eat those. And so, you know, you can't make the complete wall unless you have all 20 of the bricks but nine of them come from the outside and 11 you're making all the time. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, I say to people, you know, the brick wall can't get bigger or it, it really doesn't shrink too much, but the only way to make it bigger once you're done growing it is to lift weights. And, and they're kind of like, okay, but, you know, if I'm going to make the brick wall bigger and bigger, I want to, I want more bricks. And I'm like, yeah, but, the bigger driver of that is is definitely the weightlifting. So, um, but yeah, I talk about protein from a bricks and wall standpoint. Uh, but I also point out everybody thinks muscle, 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 and you know everything in your body, your skin, uh, your heart, your lungs, your intestine, like they're all protein structures. So, and we're turning those over all the time. So we're breaking them down, and we're making them again. And in doing so, then you you create a very efficient sort of, if you like, upkeep and maintenance system for these tissues. And, you know, that's a very efficient way of doing things. But it also means you also have a continuous need for protein because we're, we're not 100% efficient at recycling the bricks that come out of the wall, if you like. Hmm. So um, I just make that pretty clear. Uh, carbs and fats, fuel. Uh, protein, the only macronutrient, like if you're stuck on a desert island you don't have, like you're done. Hmm. And so then I guess, should we talk about, you know, like the, the old RDA minimum value? That's what I was just going to ask. Yeah, I was like, how, the did, how did, how did they come from? up with this? I well, know the that. least amount people need to survive. Yeah. You just said, if you're on a de yeah. deserted island, you need yeah. something. I know yeah. you know the history of how they developed this. You have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh, the, the methodology behind it is something called nitrogen balance. And it's exactly as the, the, the word sound. It's the balance of nitrogen in versus nitrogen out. So if you take nitrogen in, that's all of the uh, protein-containing foods. And most people think, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's meat, it's eggs. And I'm like, it's dairy, but, you know, a slice of bread even has a small amount of protein in it. So you take all of that, you crush it up, you measure it, and then you measure every root of nitrogen excretion that you have. So for most people, about 80 plus percent of what they lose in terms of nitrogen. And I talk nitrogen, and it's probably, you know, to, to point out to your listeners that it's nitrogen uh, that distinguishes protein from carbohydrates and fats, which are just carbons, hydrogens, and oxygens, and only protein or amino acids. Look at that biochem that, coming through. That, yeah, that, yeah. Is, do, we, do we call that still the amino group? Is that what yep, that is? Yep, amino group, nitrogen. <laughs> no, no, you, yeah, that's, I remember. that's, on. that's not, it's not bad. <laughs> Dredge that one up from the memory banks right there. Yeah, so so we, you measure it in everything that comes out. 80% of it in, in, uh, in, in us comes out in the form of urea in urine. Uh, but fecal nitrogen, sweat nitrogen, uh, if you're clipping your nails, if you're cutting your hair, if you're a woman, if you're having a menstrual uh, period, that's nitrogen loss, mm. right? Mm. So, you know, those are delightful experiments to carry out. I did one for my, my master's degree like a long time ago, 
And believe me, uh, you probably don't want to do too many of those in your lifetime. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the P collecting P is bad enough, but when you know you're collecting everything else, it, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I know. And, and, so, and unfortunately, the rest of the world is always dealing with the collection of Spencer's fecal nitrogen. But <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. But you know, I mean, you you don't need you don't need, a, you don't need a, a, an explanation. But let's just imagine a visual. So, so we've got these nitrogen balance data, and it's nitrogen in, nitrogen out. It's a really you know gross in every sense of the word uh, measure of your need for protein, but that's what forms the basis of what's called the recommended dietary mm-hmm. allowance, and it's the amount of protein that goes in versus out. Obviously, if you're net losing protein, you're excreting more nitrogen than you're taking in. If you're net gaining protein, um, then you're holding on to nitrogen, and the the method is you know 60, 70 years old. The list of shortcomings of the method is very long and, and very well recognized, and yet it's still the methodology because people can't agree on what would replace it uh, for determining protein requirements. But let's just say there are other methods, and all of those other methodologies come up with uh, estimates of basic need for uh, for protein uh, that are higher than nitrogen balance. So. You know, that's that's been my my rally cry for, you know, 30 plus years. The the recommended dietary allowance or the RDA is is incorrect because it's hmm. it's based in a flawed methodology. Uh, and I don't actually think it, it, it uh, estimates needs at all. But, um, you know, yeah, where did they come up with point eight? I mean, yeah. Point yeah. Eight. Well, it's it's the it's the point where the line uh, crosses zero and they add a safety margin. And the amount of protein to balance losses is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. So I, I, I get it. You're from the United States, so I'll quickly do the math for you. But, I mean, it's about uh, 0.3-something uh, grams of protein per pound. Um, so, again, compare that to your bodybuilding estimates of one, one gram per pound it's a very small amount of protein. And I, I just don't think that that meets people's protein needs. So what would be more yeah. of a, of a, just a, from your data that you would suggest? Yeah. Well, first I want to know the method that you want, that you well, think sure. it should be. But fine. then, but then ultimately the bottom sure. line is what is the necessary minimum for people? In yeah, so I, I think if you want to push, you know, from 0.8, which I don't think is adequate up to at least one to probably 1.2. Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of that's where my minimum sits, uh, and and I think you can you can get benefit to protein intakes up to about 1.6 grams per kilo, or twice the RDA, which is about 0.5 uh, something grams per pound. Now, you know I've got had a raging discussion with many people online about protein intakes that are higher than that, and. I don't deny that there might be some very small, um, you know, very thin slice benefits, um, but but I, I don't know what they are. Like, and if they are there, we can't quantify them. So let me just say that, you know, twice the RDA is where I like to have people aim. Uh, I think you get a good level of satiety. You feel full when you eat that amount of protein. It's not excessive. Most older people that I consider myself falling into that bracket these days and that I concern, you know, it's my research, um, can, can achieve that with, 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 with diet. They don't need supplements. Uh, they can usually do it through diet. And I think, you know, the one thing I try to get across to people is, you know, 30 years ago, 
the intake for vitamin C was determined by its ability to prevent scurvy. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's great. So everybody's, you know, if you eat above this, you're not going to get scurvy. But then we recognize that there were benefits associated with increased intakes of vitamin C. And we haven't done the same for protein. So it's not just prevention of deficiency, which is what the RDA is. It's prevention of deficiency and the recognition that there are some potential uh, benefits to intakes that are higher than the RDA. Okay. Could you summarize for us the research that's out there that said, okay, these people got around 0.8. I mean, I know it's probably more like recommended to get 0.8, but like 0.8 versus then like because you're saying there should be an incremental difference between 0. Yeah. 0.8 to yeah. like even just 1.2, 1. 1. Yeah. let's just say higher. Because, yeah. you know, we care about our muscle, obviously, but we always talk about the inside that counts, like cardiometabolic wise, uh, yeah. other functional stuff, yeah. like things that quality of life type of things. And I guess, can I add on to that? Just because when you're talking about grams per kilogram or pound mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. weight, yeah. that's actual body weight. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to. What you mm. see, like even in the ISSN, which I'm not sure if you were in any of those position papers, but you know, they a lot of times the science talks about ideal body mm-hmm. mass, mm-hmm. and then yeah. that makes it very confusing, not only right. to well, patients but even to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. yeah. So we, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so uh, sort of three things then to unpack. So the first is, you know, what is it? What do you get when you go above the the RDA? So let me start with what we know about the RDA, and particularly in reference to older people. If you put an older person on the RDA, and experiments have done this, and fairly tightly clamped them dietary-wise, within a 12 to 16-week period, you can see that they lose muscle. So there's already erosion of the substrate that's, you know, your store, that's your protein store. So that's an indication that it's not adequate. Um, You do it for long enough, and if we go now to observational cross-sectional data, People on lower protein intakes are generally weaker. Uh, they're not as good functionally. Now, this is in the older age, so it's a, you know, uh, I don't know when it happens, how long it takes, but, you know, we, we don't have enough experimental data interventionally to show these things. These are, these are observational trials, so that's, you know, I think another piece of evidence that I, I'd add. Um, and from the inside out, I mean, I think that the, the point would be, you know, once you get up to about one6 then you've got to make choices about the other nutrients that you're going to eat. Um, and it's carbohydrates and fats. And so it leaves a lot of room for people to make, I would say, poor choices. But it's even more of a, you know, sort of poorer choice if you're down at a very low protein intake. Plus, there's a, a satiety effect with protein that I think it, it maybe gets a little overstated. But I think people feel full or fuller. Um, to the extent that they tend not to overeat. Um, now that's called a protein leverage hypothesis. And it's, there's some evidence that that exists in humans. People who consume below what they need seek more food to try and get to that requirement. So I think all of those things, when you kind of add them up, it's just a constellation of things that make me think more protein is, is probably better. Uh, from an athlete standpoint, it, it, it becomes sort of a fait accompli because most most athletes cover their energy needs and then protein comes along for the ride. So they tend to get enough. But uh, to your point, um, you know, if some is good, more is always better, of yeah. course. So, 
but also for those you know who are trying to lose fat, including you know ranging again from our patients with obesity, diabetes, yeah. to say athletes. I mean, we talked about being wrestlers, trying to be as lean and mm -hmm. mean as possible, mm -hmm. but keeping as much yeah. muscle as possible. So yeah. that matters too. And then I guess that'll end up going back to the you know is it is it grams per <laughs> yeah, yeah mass or ideal mass you know and how do yeah. you figure that out. Yeah, sorry, I didn't touch on that. that. That's a good question. I get asked that a lot. And, and I say, you know what, we, we use actual body weight for the main reason that nobody knows what, what I would love for them to know, mm -hmm. but that's their lean mass, right? And we should really be basing these things on lean mass, which is where protein is going to go, as opposed to total body weight. So if you get somebody who's overweight or obese, I say, you know, once you hit a BMI of about 30, then I begin to talk about just leaving protein requirements as if they had a BMI of 30. Mm. So even if they have a BMI of 35 or 40, there's no need to feed protein to, to that level of body weight. You can kind of, you know, just clamp them at 30. And I guess that's sort of ideal-ish in the way it's, it's set up. Um, but, uh, you know, ideal body weight to me, I mean, you know, yeah, there's, there's no ideal, no, no, nobody in North America has the ideal body weight anymore. A few people. That's what I wondered if we should be doing this based upon height almost sometimes, but well, yeah, you know what it, 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 I've, I've seen that. And, uh, it, it, in a lot of circumstances is actually not a bad estimate. I think Eric Helms came up with that one and, you know, it's uncannily good actually, at, you know, uh, if you use height in meters, and, you know, I'm, I'm 1.83 meters and he goes, oh, that's grams per kilo. And I'm like, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, so maybe a little high for me, but uh, I'm not, you know, not bad. So, so I just, we're trying to develop, uh, this, um, GLP one program. So everybody in these GLP ah, yes, ones yeah. are just, yeah. are, are losing lots of weight. Yeah. And the thing is our patients that are coming in, you know, it could be 250, 300, Sure. Uh, however many, you know, whatever for you, it's going to be 150 yeah. kilos or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I get book. it. I get it. Yeah. So, um, and the thing, the thing is, it's like, we don't want to practicality wise. And I don't think they need 1.6 and above, uh, mm -hmm. grams mm -hmm. per kilo. Mm -hmm. I do think that going down to the 0.8 and below yeah. is, is yeah. not adequate. Even, yeah. even if they have a lot of adipose to lose. So we're, we're, you know, we try to get them up to like 1.2 if they yeah. if they can. But even practicality, these people they don't have an appetite from the, these medicines are so powerful. Sure. So it's yeah. it's it's and and yeah, like you said, there's no ideal weight. We could use lean. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. And those with obesity, I don't think it's actually they haven't done these studies where they actually calculate it based off of lean mass. They've done some yeah. in total body weight. Mm -hmm. I did just see you have a review on very low calorie diets and yeah. protein intake. Can yeah. you touch on that then? Because that yeah. relates to, to yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, so so we've we've carried out about um, four, uh, I just call them traditional weight loss trials. You know, we, we were in a kinesiology department, so exercise is always involved. But, you know, there's not no substitute. I, you know, the, the, the adage is, uh, muscle and fitness is made in the gym, but weight is lost in the kitchen. So you got to cut energy back and, and, and calories back. And when you do that, you know, people lose weight and then, you know, they get fitter and everything. But you know, the dirty secret is in weight loss is if it's just done without exercise, probably about a quarter of the weight that most people lose is, is lean tissue, some of which is going to be muscle. Mm -hmm. uh, so in your patients, they're, you know, an example uh, astonishingly effective drugs, right? And I mean, it's a, it's a, 
a excellent time to be alive to have something so potent and so powerful. Uh, but it's the same with bariatric patients. They lose weight very quickly. Uh, it's very effective, but some of what they lose is going to be muscle. And so, you know, you'd like to sort of say, well, as, as good a health as we're putting you in is that we want you to hold on to that metabolically active tissue that, you know, once you're a little bit older is also going to help you get around. Um, two things. I mean, first, uh, I know I'm preaching the converted, but, you know, lift weights. Yeah, uh, that's by far the, the well, most powerful. I think we need to get into that a little bit. More. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to get it because that's always debated. Like our thing is like, if you're not lifting, then this whole point is moot. Well, and I think, I mean, and he, you're about to part. tell us, but the yeah. data we're very confident show that the resistance training is more of a, or needs to be more of a priority than splitting the hairs oh, yeah. that we're talking about today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it's, 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 Hands down, it's the the far superior stimulus to hanging on to, to muscle than than just increasing protein intake. I mean, okay. it, it's sort of, uh, I, I you know, nutrition alone, I call it a very passive way of trying to sort of correct the issue. Uh, the extreme example is to go into the ICU. Uh, you've got somebody who's, you know, in a bed, very sick, all kinds of issues, and you're just trying to flood them with protein to, to, to counteract the the loss of muscle and it's it's not very effective at all until you can either you get electrical stimulation or something to make the patient mobile and that even though it's not a big stimulus it's a contractile stimulus that sort of opens up the muscle and makes it receptive to nutrients like like protein so you know uh anything above the rda for for your patients w would be good yeah. Uh, because of their lower appetite and, and if they're, that would be a time and, and, you know, it's not often I say is that supplements probably could be, you know, a true, um, yeah, a savior in that time because of the quality of the protein that you get in these supplements. So uh, it's, they're isolated, there's no fiber or anti-nutritional component to them. Uh, they tend to be very high quality, especially if they're dairy-based, so whey or casein. Uh, and that would be, you know, the the, the protein that I might push uh, yeah. to sort of preserve lean tissue. So, like with your with the VL, uh, very low calorie yeah. diet. Yeah. Like, what did, what did you? What was the gist of it? I mean, you're, you're basically saying because yeah. I know a lot, a lot of these things looked at. Like, I think the percent they look at percentage. Like, thirty percent of your calories should come from protein. That's a lot of yeah. these obesity trials, yep. but mm. yep. that's probably not the best way to do it. If your calories are getting so low, your protein's going low as opposed yeah. to just setting it at a, yeah. a certain per. So how, yeah. What was your conclusion of this? Yeah, I, I, exactly what I just said. I mean, the, by far the biggest driver of retention of lean, uh, you know, so if these are, uh, go, you know, way back in time, sort of late sixties, early seventies to what they called protein modified fasts, right? Mm -hmm. So you get these uh, metabolically very unhealthy patients, but you get them in hospital and you, you pull them back or you put them on a, a calorie diet that's about 800 calories a day. And uh, in those scenarios, when you up the protein, uh, it helps preserve a little bit of lean. Um, but our point is, you know, we've been able to do the, you know, what in, in your our world we call body recomp, where we take even fairly, you know, not particularly overweight individuals, and we are able to get them to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. But we do that not because they get more protein, but because they lift weights. 
it, it, it's it, like the potency of it compared to just diet is, I don't know what fold, but it's definitely a fold of difference. So uh, your advice to your patients is, uh, is sound for sure. Here's a, here's a question for you. Uh, we were trying to develop and we may eventually get this done. We really want to see a trial with these new uh, incretin therapies, either yeah. terzepatide or semaglutide, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And we want, it would be really interesting. They haven't done this yet. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to know, like, let's, let's get as much protein as we can up to like 1.6. I don't think it's, we're going to get them up that high, but let's, let's say, and let's get them resistance training. Let's say not just recommendations and seeing what people like literally supervise Mm -hmm. as close as possible. Yep. They've done similar with these, uh, VLCD type of um, so there trials. is one trial that's out there, and it was with uh, liraglutide, uh, where it was a two by two factorial trial. The results are in the New England Journal, yeah. Um, yeah. and they had they had, ex- about it. they had an we've, exercising we've group. It. Yeah, it was, it was they had part, an... part resistance, part aerobic, and it. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, it looked. I don't know if they did dexes. I can't remember. You could pull it up if you I, want. But like I, yeah, I, I, but have they done it with just no drug, and they've done VLCDs like with this no. type of thing that's no. so like because i i think and i've we we should get brad schoenfeld on here because we were talking with him yeah yeah yeah. like if we do it properly we think the, the, the muscle loss will be minimal if we do it correctly yeah. but people mm-hmm. are skeptical they're like no you can't stop the muscle loss i i, I think I'll you bet, can. I, i'd be willing to bet you that you could um so, so i mean we wrote a commentary uh myself and a couple of students in the lab on that two by two uh, liraglutide yeah, trial, I saw that. yeah, that's right. I saw for the that. main for the main reason that in the original paper they just sort of they they gloss over it a lot, and I and I think it was much more aerobic than it was resistance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's just say they probably underdosed the uh, the resistance uh, that they gave these folks. Uh, but the main reason that we highlighted um, the paper in the British Journal of Sports Medicine was that was the only group that reported an increase in, in health related quality of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm fond of saying is that, you know, exercise is awesome and it's it, like, it's almost embarrassing. It's so good, but it's also really good when you add it to other things that work and it makes, makes everything better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a, just a quick little recap of that trial, Spencer, um, the liraglutide plus exercise, of course, lost more weight mm-hmm. than, you know, certainly placebo gained weight exercise maintained weight, loraglutide itself lost a little bit of weight, exercise loraglutide lost the most weight and had, of course, the best improvement in body fat percentage. So loraglutide yeah. and exercise actually had a, a similar um, almost 2% uh, body fat percentage improvement, whereas exercise plus loraglutide had better than three, like more of a three and a half percent body fat uh, percentage loss. Um, you know, and like you said, there was, you know, all the other benefits. Some, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, when they look at these DEXA scans, we had Grant Tinsley on here. Do you know Dr. Oh, Grant? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because everybody yeah. uses these DEXA scans and it's yes. like, well, that doesn't necessarily tell you the muscle specifically. No. It's it's a surrogate no, it of yeah. it. So, uh, <laughs> I have patients that, uh, you know, it's, it ranges. I had one patient that had only 10% like lean mass loss and they've lost mm-hmm. almost a hundred mm-hmm. pounds. And it's like, okay, yeah. I don't think these things are specifically catabolic. 
Uh, I know that's what you know, Peter Atia and some of these other people are saying. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, I just I count don't this, think it's... Uh, count this as another notch in the belt of giving a little knock to Peter Atia. Yeah, the Peter Atia. We, we, we call this the Peter Atia. We usually Atiyah knock hater. him down every every uh, podcast. We call it the Peter Atia to... hater podcast. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll let the shoe drop and tell you that you know my my most precious commodity is time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. I'll, I'll, yeah. It's a short list of pods that I listen to, and and hand on heart, you guys are in there. Uh, I got a Tia because I, I he's a smart guy, and I he like is smart. He is smart. Uh, I, I I don't listen. I can't listen to Huberman because it's three hours long. Yeah, like oh. it, 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 it's too much, right? And so there there are one or two other. I don't want to call them out, but I mean, so I like Peter's <laughs> podcast for a lot of reasons. There's a couple of times I'm just like. <clears throat> Like it just, well, that, and that's you know. what we get into. I mean, it, like, yeah, he's a smart dude, and, and yeah, he says some clearly. really good things. Once yeah. in a while, he starts extending himself into areas where he's just he says things and he's kind of wrong, and we're like, oh, come on, man. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So, so we, anyway, like, there's we, no reason I think for him to say these things, and right. it makes me just go like, yeah, right. Just, why are you right. going there? I, I'm I'm actually certain inside. I don't think you really believe that, but it's it, it's 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 a little bit of hype. So, a little bit of you know, if I ever got the chance to meet him in person, I'd shake the guy's hand and say, "Oh yeah, you're doing an awesome job." But every now and again, I'm like, "Dude, just you know, yeah. I'm I, yeah, so I got I'm wearing the McMaster brand. We think we're the home of evidence based, or like to say we are anyway. So I'm going to say evidence based just a few times on the podcast, or I get kicked out of the club, right? So. <laughs> I'm like, that's not evidence based, you know, so. right? I know. Yeah. Well, it's, and, and, you know, we like to, you know, we like to have people like you on here to, because we don't know everything. And yeah. so well, yeah, and, we don't know what we're talking we, about. We, we don't have a monopoly on it here. I mean, we, yeah. we think we do, but we yeah, don't. So, yeah. so that's, yeah. it's, it's the club meetings on Tuesday, we admitted to ourselves, we do not know everything, you know. So yeah. Sorry about well, the tangent. Yeah, okay, the, on, okay so the tangent. Okay. Yeah, so, sorry. So patients sorry. patients will lose 10%. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, but, and, but then I had another patient, they did lose around 30% lean. Yeah. Matt, may have been a little bit more, and it's like more yeah. than what you'd expect. It was on a mm-hmm. DEXA, but they're like, I don't understand. My deadlifts went up a hundred pounds. I can do pull-ups now. So yeah, they're stronger. My, my question for you, and this might not be yeah. your your forte, but quality of muscle, strength, strength, function, more so than just what it shows on a DEXA scan. I, I don't know. You but, might know this stuff better than I do. So you had Grant on, and there's yeah. nobody better than Grant to explain okay. you know what a DEXA does and what a DEXA doesn't, right? So yeah. he, spot on. DEXA is. It, it, it essentially through subtraction, so it measures bone, which is what it's made to do, and that's what it's best at doing. It measures fat, and then it gives you total body. It actually measures area, not mass, but it does some extrapolations, and you get fat and bone-free mass. Now, that we call that lean, some of which is going to be muscle, but it also includes all your organs and, and, and water and everything mm-hmm. else. So... It's hard to use it as sort of a, you know, how good or bad it, because in some people it can be spot on. In other people, it's not as good. And all bets are off when you lose weight and you change body water pools and everything else like that as to which is the best. So let me just say this is that um, it's sort of, you know, what direction is the wind blowing, uh, even though people think it's the gold standard. And I think that that's probably a good estimate or reasonable, but strength is something you can completely divorce for muscle if you're lifting, because Mm -hmm. as you guys know, 
you know, you want to get better in doing the combine, you practice for the combine. So if you're practicing lifting heavy stuff, you get better at lifting heavy stuff. And so it's, it's probably the best of all worlds, no matter how much lean you lose, mm-hmm. if you get smaller and yet functionally stronger, that's amazing. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier um, quality of life measures too, physical ability. I mean, that's absolutely. Who cares what the the DEXA says if you are healthier and living your life better? And Spencer, by the way, just going back to that liraglutide plus exercise trial, in that not only did the liraglutide and exercise group have significant amount of fat mass loss, they actually had a slight increase in lean mass according to that trial by DEXA. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> to, so, to put a, a fine point on what we were just talking about, right. I, I like I don't know that that's, you know, muscle building per se, but it's definitely much closer to negating muscle right. loss, right? And, and, you know, you guys know this, and I think everybody realizes it. Muscle, as you get older, it, it goes down, and it's the main, one of the main reasons that uh, age is a negative factor in all of the predictive energy expenditure equations because the older you are the less muscle you have and you know nobody's having a crisis of of their liver which is a small but yet very metabolically active tissue so mm-hmm. preservation of muscle is a good thing and you want to keep that as long as you can uh, into later life when it becomes an issue around mobility i'm trying my best <laughs> yeah, I, I'm ahead of you, but I am also doing my best. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I think we I think we captured most of it. One point. So yeah, we I see all other people. You know, our buddy Alan Aragon and all these. They always are arguing with you back and forth on Twitter sure. about like why not get more, get the two point two Jose Antonio, all these other yeah. people. Yeah. Um. You know, like the, the thing is, like that's a. I think it's a very niche population that might consider going yeah. higher like yeah. if, yeah. if they just want to make sure that they yeah. eke out every tiny well, little ounce of and yeah. that's and they're also talking about trained athletes these are like mm-hmm. lifting a lot straight up also also you yeah. know cutting cutting calories yeah. energy yeah. deficit keeping yeah. as much you know i mean that's splitting a lot of hairs whereas most people even probably most athletes i would think yeah um would benefit more from this more pragmatic uh, approach and it's very important for us to be able to help with patients. Um, now, is one thing I don't know, but it matters because we have kids. Um, yeah, sure. And 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 we have a couple little meathead boys and a couple of little <laughs> athletic girls. Yes. I uh, I don't know. Do you know much about their protein requirements at all, or is that do we need to go get a pediatric? Uh, you you need a you'd need somebody better than me. Uh, I'll yeah. just give you my N of three experience. Okay. Uh, so I have three sons. Uh, they're all older than your kids, and I only know because you guys post pictures of your kids. And so my youngest is 18. The oldest mm. is 24. Uh, they were all uh, – well, one still is, I, I guess, competitively. Like, they were all very good ice hockey players. Uh, number two, I mentioned to you, he's a wrestler. Uh, and, and that kid's – he's leaner than, in, in, at this point in his life than I ever was as a, as a rugby guy. Um, the, the bottom line to me is that they – I've never said anything to them about – supplements uh they they do use protein supplements but it's certainly i've i've drilled it into them i'm like food first uh supplements convenient so that's that's how they they use them um but you know it's not naive enough to think that uh it, it, like a lot of particularly young boys uh they they're looking for something but as you guys you know would probably know 
I think for kids, there's, there's a, a whole list of things that you could tweak before you would say, you know, supplements maybe are, so are you going to the gym? <laughs> how hard do you work when you get there? Mm -hmm. um, how often do you go? How much are you sleeping? How much, you know, blah, 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 blah. Lots of other things that you could probably say you yeah. should improve on this before we talk about supplements. So um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of, of trying to get kids to, to take a supplement. I get asked a lot by coaches, yeah. particularly, you know, my blah, blah, blah. Would you think if we got this kid on creatinine? And I'm like, you know, uh, Mike, I think if you got the kid maybe working a solid out. eight hours of sleep or, yeah. You know, Let's let's check a you know a grid while well, he he's worked out three times in the last month and you know yeah yeah and as far as like actual protein requirements probably most of the kids get that I mean obviously my son he probably eats more protein than in a day than I do at this point he's a little meat <laughs> on a per kilo body weight basis yeah yeah, right. oh, yeah relative oh yeah you Spencer yeah. knows he I mean I mean I mean he the, slams the... these quadruple burgers from plate it's like come on man yeah like it's it's actually it's hard for me to watch my boys eat food because it's it's, it's yeah it's disgusting actually like i think at some point like it, that that was definitely me and yeah. and the, the great you know part about being young is that you're you're growing right yeah. so there's this diversionary sort of sink for excess calories and and protein and everything uh, it's not it's not obviously not infinite because we've also got lots of kids mm -hmm. who are overweight and obese sure. But certainly if you're a, an active kid and you're, you're involved in all these things, it's as if you just can't shovel coal into the furnace fast enough. Mm -hmm. It's just it is amazing. things on all the time, right? So, uh, yeah, that goes away just so that all of your young listeners you yes. know, are, are – that's actually a great point for anyone listening and, and listening. Uh, you know, we don't want you to have to see us someday. And so prevention is key, primordial prevention, mm. good nutrition, exercise, keep it up. Uh, you know, we don't Absolutely. want you to struggle with obesity and diabetes and end up having to see us later. Yes. Well, Stu, it's been fun. Yeah, this I is think, amazing. I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a little chart now that I've talked to you based upon height and estimated protein requirements for my patients. I think you got to tap Eric Helms. I think that was okay. his um, right. uh, invention or whatever. It, it, it's, it's, it's astonishingly good though. It's, yeah. So, I mean, but it is, it's height in meters, one point yeah, okay. you know, blank meters. But, but if then, I go, yeah. you know, you know, know you were talking are. about like a BMI of kind of 30, you know, as that, uh, you know, so yeah, as, as I, I, if I go like what people's, uh, weight is mm -hmm. at each height for a BMI yeah. of 30, that would be yeah. kind of a, a reasonable target for I my patients, good, right? I think it's a good peg. Yeah. I, I, like I, I get asked the question you guys asked a lot, but by, by dietitians in particular, and, and I struggle and I've done it, you know, mm -hmm. some back of the envelope calculations. And I, I think that's probably pretty, pretty good. But uh, yeah, Eric, Eric's okay. the guy All deserves right. the credit for the, the height one. Uh, it makes me sure. feel better that you know, even you have sort of mentally struggled with that as, as we have, because so it's not perfect science. I mean, no, it's that's, not. thank no, you for we, making me feel better. We don't have the data for, to, yeah. to, for me to give you the exact yeah. number, but I will say this and, and, and I would, and you mentioned that people say, oh, there's no way you can prevent the lean. I would strongly dispute that I, mm -hmm. with these drugs. And I think there may be like, they're doing something to muscle that we don't quite understand. I don't know if it's catabolic per se. Definitely the reduction in overall energy intake is driving the, the catabolic side of things. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I would, um, with enough, like a sufficient dose and intensity and frequency of resistance training, I, I would bet that you, you could that's, come. That's, what we, that's, that's what we think. That's what we think. That's what right. we think. Yeah, yeah, we need the data. We need the data. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all Strength right, training. Docs who live podcast. If, uh, follow Stu on Twitter. Um, don't harass him too much. Yeah, already too harassment's fine. Harass away. It's, you're it's always all good. Harassing. Really appreciate it. This is, this was amazing. I really, really thank you, thank you so I, much. Thank you. Same, we'll same. It's been uh, it's a it's a pleasure to uh, to to hang with you guys for sure. Thank you, thank you for everything. Here's our outro, everyone. Share this with somebody you think will benefit from eating some more protons. Basically, everybody. <laughs>